Hello and welcome to Raw File News. I'm your host, Topher M. Ford, and here with me is my co-host, Brandon Givens. We're recording on Monday, May 23rd, 2022. Brandon, how goes it? Ah, pretty good. Getting ready for summer vacation. We get out pretty late uh, in June, and I'm planning to go to Moldova this summer. Well, so what are you going to be doing in uh, Moldova? Uh, plan is to do some volunteer work, and we've been trying to contact nonprofits, and pretty much since the war started, and they've all been kind of like, eh, well, you know, June, July is a year away for us, you know, we, so um, we have um, friends that are work at the embassy there, and they just said, yeah, you pretty much just show up, and we'll see what we can do to connect you and a problem i just end up driving people around in my a rental car it's, that's a lot of what people need like you know, uh, refugee mothers need a trip to the store to go get diapers or something and so like okay well i'll be i'll be the free uber <laughs> yeah. are you are you going to be in transnistria i don't think i don't think i'll go over there but yeah i don't think that's the plan uh, but might go to yeah, Romania or Poland or something, unless they decide they don't want us, and then we'll be like, okay, well, we'll just go on vacation. Actually, I can't remember. Did I talk about this last week? I yeah, we mentioned it a little bit. I think you mentioned okay. the plans. So that's uh, just a recap. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, hold it, this sounds really familiar. Hold it, I already talked about this. Yeah, I do that all the time. Say stuff that I've already said. I repeat myself a lot. Um, just like history. So <laughs> good segue. <laughs> speaking of history and uh, it, well, current affairs, history, current history, history in the making. Um, we got some news that we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to start off talking about uh, Tajikistan, uh, where at least 25 Pamiri protesters were killed by security forces in Tajikistan on Wednesday, May 18th. Uh, this is from The Guardian, quote, According to witnesses, several hundred residents of Korog, the capital of Gabao, gathered at the weekend to call for the dismissal of the governor and the release of demonstrators arrested for participation in a protest in November when three men were killed and 17 wounded by security forces. Uh, the Guardian goes on to say, Protests continued until Wednesday when, as people marched to the main square in Korog, security forces blocked the road and allegedly started firing rubber bullets, stun grenades, and tear gas at the protesters, killing at least 25 people, end quote. So the Tajik government says that the protesters were actually foreign-backed terrorists sent to block traffic in order to inflame already tense political and social situations. The part, uh, Pamiri activists, however, say that the protests were peaceful. So that's a. Well, that was the party line here in Kazakhstan in January when they had the uh, certain protesters. Well, some of them did show up armed, or people showed up armed, and the government's line was, ah, oh, these are foreign backed terrorists. And like, uh... But, yeah, peace, uh, peaceful protests and free speech isn't really institutionalized uh, in, in this region quite yet. 
but I think it I think it has to do with rising food prices. I mean, there there's a little bit of ethnic tension. Uh, they're kind of uh, Amiri there. The, the Tajiks are Indo-Iranian. Uh, you know, in fact, in the area, they sometimes just call them Persian, which is kind of interesting historical throwback. Uh, but they're they're closely related uh, to this group. But anyway, I mean, you you can have you know like uh, 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 Scots and Irish are closely related in a sense, but you know they have their their cultural differences, right? Yeah, and the Pimeri are are kind of uh, like native to the area. Is that right? Well, I think the Tajiks are too. Uh, you know, I mean, about as native as you can get. Uh, they're just there's a mountain range, and they're over on one side of the mountain range, and there aren't as many of them. Um, so they, I guess, I think they might feel a little outvoted, or maybe their their needs aren't being met. You know, kind of like maybe like right. um, in Appalachia, a lot of times a, a region where the population of that region is kind of low. Uh, compared to other parts of the country, and then people feel like their their needs are being ignored, and it's not really right. that. You know, maybe there are some slight cultural differences or big cultural differences, and like, well, we're suffering, and the rest of the country doesn't really care because they're worried about we're slightly different, or yeah. they live in a, a geographically <laughs> kind of isolated place or something like that. Yeah, and then you mentioned rising food prices. Uh, so, you know, anytime there's a food shortage, people start going hungry. Whatever tensions were already there are going to get inflamed and be worse. Yeah. And um, the they, Tajikistan's big thing is uh, water. They have a lot of mountains. Uh, so they they can provide a lot of hydroelectric power. They don't necessarily have a whole lot of farmland. Um, Uzbekistan, which is downstream from them, does have a lot of farmland, but they need that water from Tajikistan. And so that's also kind of making some neighborly tensions for Tajikistan is we need our, you know, beautiful mountain water or river water to, you know, uh, create electricity and perhaps sell it. And Uzbekistan is like, well, we need that beautiful mountain water for our cotton fields to grow cotton and export. So, er. right, yeah, water uh, conflicts are uh, those will be over soon, <laughs> right? Well, um, I mean, this actually, area is ground zero for climate change issues. I mean, well, of course, we've got the you know, you've got COVID's disrupt the food supply. Uh, the Russian-Ukrainian war has disrupted the food supply. Uh, countries are starting to kind of think of themselves like, let's stop exporting stuff because, you know, uh, we can feed ourselves if we don't export. And the whole tradition of kind of global trade is being upended. Right. Because everyone's just kind of keeping to themselves. Or, yeah, kind of moving in that direction. Yeah. Uh, speaking of these such matters, uh, there's uh, more trouble in Sri Lanka. 
uh, the people of Sri Lanka find themselves in dire straits as the country faces extreme shortages of food and fuel. A ban on certain fertilizers last year led to a major drop in crop yields this year. The president has since lifted the ban and has promised to import enough of the fertilizers for next year, but this doesn't help the current shortfall in food supplies. This comes as gasoline and other fuels begin to run dry as well. The government closed schools and most government offices on Friday, May 20th, in an attempt to lower demand on fuel as people are forced to wait in long lines for gasoline, sometimes for days. On Thursday, May 19th, Sri Lanka officially defaulted on its national debt, unable to make a $78 million payment on accrued interest. With its economy collapsing, the country is unable to pay for imports of fuel and food to alleviate its shortages. One Sri Lankan said to Reuters, quote, There is no point in talking about how hard life is. I can't predict how things will be in two months. At this rate, we might not even be here. And that was from uh, APD Sumanavati, a 60-year-old woman selling fruit and vegetables in the Peta market in Colombo, the commercial capital, on uh, Friday. So, yeah, Sri Lanka is really feeling the pressure. And that was, you know, we talked last week a little bit about mass uh, mass protests in there against their uh, president. Yeah, I mean... That, uh... It's going to be worrisome the the amount of starvation and, and discontent. Uh, I think that they've about twenty million people, or less. And I was you know I was looking today at Afghanistan and the different regions because there's like a Tajik area and an Uzbek area, and um, I was being world king in my mind and like mm, maybe we should carve this up you know like you know oh yay an imperialist white guy talking about carving up another country and, <laughs> and distributing it amongst others um but in, in looking at the demographics it's like the population went up by well it seems like 20 million in the past like 20 years like throughout the war they added about a million people a year and it's a very heavily populated country, Afghanistan. And uh, it's about, um, it seems like almost twice as, twice as many as Sri Lanka. But I don't know. The numbers are kind of hard. Like, uh, I think what I read said 40 million for Afghanistan, but it might be as, as 30 million. But anyway, the point is, we have, you know, a lot of areas of the, the world with, like, lots of population growth. And... The starvation, I think, is going to hit really hard, and it's it's worrisome. Yeah, it's yeah, very worrisome. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, all right, and then um, you mentioned Moldova because you are gonna you're headed that way soon. That's the plan. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh. Speaking to the European Parliament on Wednesday, May 18th, Moldovan President Maya Sandu said that Russia must remove its troops from the breakaway state of Transnistria. She said, quote, 
The Transnistrian conflict is another problem we face. We are still giving preference to a peaceful solution in this conflict, which will fully preserve the sovereignty of the Republic of Moldova and territorial integrity within our internationally recognized borders. She also reiterated her wish that Moldova be granted membership in the U European Union. So it looks like they've been pushing to join the EU. Um, yeah, that was like one of their their issues is they kind of were waffling uh, between, well, do we want to be buddies with Russia or do we want to be buddies with um, the EU? And I mean, yeah, now I think the, the thumb has been put on the scale to go toward the, the EU. Uh, they'll be pretty clever. I was wondering, like Transnista and then like South Ossetia, and these uh, somewhat frozen conflicts. And I bet when Russia collapses, they're going to jump and grab them. Of course, I'm assuming Russia is going to collapse. But, um, you know, like if they have a time of great internal conflict and nobody knows who's in charge, that would be the time to go in. Because, I mean, Moldova has every legal right to that land. And the, the whole thing in Transnistria is it's a... Pretty much just a big criminal organization, you know, for gun running and whatever else. Um, so no one's no one's going to miss it. And this, the <laughs> Russian, you know, I was like, <laughs> is that why it's been uh, trying to, you know, separate? Well, it's by fact, it, like by fact, it is separate. They, it's something like um, they. I mean, they could have Moldovan passports and. But for like Ukraine or anyone to do business with them, they still they have to register their company in Moldova. Um, but the Moldovan military and police don't operate there, so you know it's okay. like they're kind of it's kind of like a independent region in that sense. And they have they have their own money they use. So they're like, oh, all right. I might issue my own money, call it Topher Bucks, and uh, see if that catches on. Well, I mean, you, maybe could, a, you could a just cryptocurrency. I say Topher coin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Let me know if y'all are interested in investing in Topher coin, and maybe we'll make that happen. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the EU. Uh, the EU is pushing a $300 billion plan to help member countries move away from Russian oil and gas. The move is meant to deprive Russia of funds it needs to continue its invasion into Ukraine. From the AP, quote, an EU ban on coal from Russia is due to start in August, and the bloc has pledged to try to reduce demand for Russian gas by two-thirds by year's end. Meanwhile, a proposed EU oil embargo has hit a roadblock from Hungary and other landlocked countries that worry about the cost of switching to alternative sources. Uh, so I read, you know, that they kind of, the, the AP article that I was reading kind of tucked in there that they're trying to move away from Russian gas because of the invasion and also uh, kind of looking to move to toward greener energy sources. Um, Although I don't, I mean, I feel like if they're doing that, it's probably mostly motivated by getting away from Russian gas. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it takes the took an invasion and, you know, the bombing of innocent kids to finally say, you know what, maybe it's not just about the environment. <laughs> and, well, well, the thing we were just reading about Sri Lanka and um, the fuel, like so much is related to fuel, uh, like, you know, our agriculture and like all of our food and such. It's just converting the energy and power of oil into food. Yeah, and we how, were talking about that last week, how there's fuel there's like gas and oil involved in like every step of food production and delivery these days and, and yeah we've if, if we want to like not sterilize everyone to not starve then we have to figure out another way <laughs> you know which technology may be able to make it so yeah we could have 50 billion people on earth you know uh, but not not with the present technology we don't seem to be able to do that but yeah hungry yeah. i mean i i understand their position in a way because they're like well you know we're our infrastructure is already set up for this oil but at the same time it's like uh, come on <laughs> you know the only right. uh, compromise i could see on that would be like well you buy the Russian oil, but put a really big tax on it, and then the tax goes automatically toward um, the Ukraine, like rebuilding it, either they're military or humanitarian something. Right. But, I mean, that's an awful idea too. There, I can I can come up with more awful ideas if you like. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. You've got like a knack yeah. for that. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll get here to you. Any idea I come up with, there will be a lot of people that don't like it. Yeah, well, that's just how things are. Yeah, well, what else was I going to... Oh, and, you know, you hear people talk about um, addiction to fossil fuels, and that's really where we're at. I mean, that's literally... The world is addicted to it because it's causing lots of negative impacts especially with the environment and with global warming. But without it, a ton right. of people would just die. Uh, they would starve to death. So, you know, because it has more to, it's, you know, it, it involves more than just putting gas in your car and driving to work. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, uh, it's a conversation people don't want to have. Um, like, because if you start saying, well, we need, you know, maybe we need to lower the birth rate, then it gets to start oh, sounding well, like eugenics and... Right. Yeah, oh, we don't want to not go. So it's, it's a thread nobody wants to pull, pull, but at the same time... And also there's a whole thing like, um, was it the Malthusian principle, where, I mean, he predicted that humanity would run out of food and starve, and it didn't happen. And so they're like, ah, oh, his ideas are discredited um, because we have been able to grow more food. And many of the famines that we have had in the his in history were largely man-made or, you know, distribution issues. And it's like, well, if we don't have the distribution issues figured out, what do we what makes us think we will or something, you know, like um, but saying mouth mouth uh, is. Is, was wrong is also assuming that our technology will continue infinitely 
to be able to produce more food than right. population. And because I don't know that that's true. Yeah. Well, and my understanding was that his prediction was, and I'm not, I haven't read a ton about it, but my understanding was that his, his prediction wasn't necessarily wrong. It was just that it was subverted by, um, uh, development, uh, in wheat. Well, yeah, that's, that's what and I'm getting just, at. Like our technology yeah. got ahead of. Yeah, he he didn't know they were going to come up with all these tractors and fertilizers and genetically engineered crops and right and everything and so uh, it just sort of put well I don't know if saying it was delayed is the right way to put it but but yeah if it had if that technological advance those advances hadn't happened then he would have probably been right and we're assuming that we're going to have more technological advances which may or may not be the case yeah right i mean like well the netherlands i mean they don't have much land and they've done a very good job at like becoming food exporters through like greenhouses and like hydroponics and stuff so uh, there, there there might be a way but you're talking about really getting directly involved in the economy to do it um the, the, you know having faith in the invisible hand doesn't really seem to be working um, and they say, you know, like, well, if the government would stop prying or stop interfering, then the free market would make sure everybody had enough food. And I'm like, how did the free market is why the Irish starved and the potato famines are one of the reasons like the they Ireland had had potato famines um, before the, right. the great one in the 30s. But the the king blocked the ports. And it's like, oh, right. And they were because Ireland was growing plenty of other non-potato foods, but they had to send all of that back to England to the British landlords who owned the all the Irish land. Well, I mean, they just sold it. I mean, they had control over it and, uh, you know, the landlords and I mean, the top landlords, a lot of them weren't ever even in Ireland. And right. they had... It was, so it was there was land that was sublet that was sublet that was sublet. So most people were dealing with other Irish, but nonetheless, the people that controlled it, the where the wheat went, their property rights, they you know they sold it to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder was not a starving Irishman. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, and but, if the uh, any of the Irish didn't pay their rent, then there were there was always the army there to serve them their eviction notice all right well you got to um, maintain law and order you know property rights yeah. this is my property and they are overstaying it and they have violated the rental agreement and they must go um and i guess uh they could starve to death because that's the free market well, that's essentially what happened but then they came in and started saying well let's do workhouses but um and, and in some respects, those were probably better than, you know, just letting people starve. But they had the thing like, well, we right, can't just give them food. Uh, yeah. Well, I was like, well, we can't just give them food because then they're going to be lazy. Uh, right. So we got to make a workhouse. And because people won't if, if people won't be motivated to work without the threat of starvation. <laughs> yeah, right. I, that was there. Yeah. I mean, that's and that that mentality is still it's alive and well today. 
<laughs> they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's a profitable mentality to have. And, yeah. But yeah, just I mean, we can see it in the history. That's what really frustrates me. Like, um, yeah, the first King James is like, no, we're not going to starve the Ireland. We're not going to let you sell the wheat in Ireland when they don't have any food to eat, potatoes to eat. No. But yeah, Victoria was like, ah, free trade and free market. What is this new thing? We call it liberalism. Let's give it a try. And, and I was like, well, it sounds nice. And uh, the corn laws yeah. were very, were very big deal in, in England itself, where they were um, trying to protect, uh, interfere with their own prices. It is a good case study in protectionism. And in many ways, freeing up the English grain market did help it. But, <laughs> you know, that helped them. <laughs> well, I'm talking yeah. like the, you know, like uh, as, a, as a whole, like later on, we're getting more into like, I can't remember when the corn laws officially went through, but. Um, right. Yeah, there are certain emergency situations. But having said that, that's what we're seeing now, uh, in a sense, like Kazakhstan is like, eh, we don't think we're going to export as, as much wheat as we did before. And then the neighboring countries are like, oh, no, well, we, we don't we don't have as It's kind of like the opposite of what happened with Ireland. Instead of like the wheat going out, they actually are keeping it in. Right. Um, but um, they're having plenty, but the neighbors are starving. Uh, don't you wish there was this like group of nations that could get together and cooperate and try to figure out how to make sure that people didn't really starve? But then you got the whole thing like, oh, well, social Darwinism. Oh, if those countries can't figure it out, uh, <laughs> this is yeah, awful. right. All right, well, let's move on here. Um, Birth we're, control we're, in the water. That, that's all I'm saying. No, you no, I don't endorse that. <laughs> I told you I could come up with a horrible idea. <laughs> All right, so now um, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Finland, Sweden, and NATO. Um, first off, on Saturday, May 21st, Russia cut off gas exports to Finland following Finland's refusal to pay for energy imports in rubles. Russia also ended electricity exports to Finland earlier this month. The moves are seen as mostly symbolic as Russian energy only accounted for about 5% of Finland's energy needs. So uh, I think I read that it was maybe four or 5,000 households were being powered by Russian electricity and they were just, the country was able to just, you know, reroute electricity to cover that. Um, but it is a, you know, as you know, Russia or I'm sorry, Finland trying to join NATO, which plays into the second uh, headline. As Finland begins the process of joining NATO, Russian President Vladimir Putin says he sees no problem with the move, although he does warn against a military buildup in the region. Speaking to a military alliance of former Soviet states, Putin said, quote, As to enlargement, Russia has no problem with these states, none. And so, in this sense, there is no immediate threat to Russia from an expansion to include these countries. But the expansion of military infrastructure into this territory would certainly provoke our response. What that will be, we will see what threats are created for us, end quote. 
So, yeah, he's saying, oh, we don't care. We don't <laughs> care. They can join NATO if they want. We don't care. Um, but if they bring <laughs> in troops, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, well, um, I mean, uh, it's a pretty milquetoast answer. And I was like, well, if they, you know, put a whole bunch of tanks on the border, I guess we'll have to put a bunch of tanks on the border, too. Well, duh. <laughs> right. And that actually goes right into our next story. On Friday, May 20th, Russian Defense Minister uh, Sergei Shoigu announced that Russia would strengthen its military forces along its western borders, adding 12 units and divisions to the area. So, oh, there you they're go. already, yeah. I mean... At a certain point, the talking is just, it's kind of pointless in a way, because they're going to say one thing, do another thing. Um, maybe occasionally what they say and what they do will line up, you know, as a coincidence. Well, they'll get to say something and we can have some, you know, media personalities in the U.S. keep repeating it like it's the gospel truth. So that's something that, you know. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Russia's attacks within the Donbass region intensify as it seeks to gain more control in the area. Shelling in the area has increased, and on Saturday, Russia claimed con complete control over the city of Maripol after finally taking that Azovstal steel plant. Um, European officials... Oh, yeah, that's the next thing. So, Russia finally is claiming control of Maripol, um, which they've reduced to rubble it almost i mean from descriptions it sounds like they've almost basically raised the city so yeah they stalingrad the place uh well i think they're also um doing stuff like i was watching this show colony that was kind of neat um you know like uh, mysterious people take over the city and uh police slash soldiers in black or Rounding people up or something, but um, then people end up joining them for jobs. But right, they seem to be um, getting the the locals and kind of um, forcing some of them into uh, their police units. It's like, uh, I don't know, right. you know, it's asking to get shot in the back of the head. You right. know, that's probably why, or at least part of the reason why people, so many people were trying to evacuate. Uh, beforehand uh, and it seems like things aren't going to go get any better um, as European officials are saying that they believe Russia has enlisted the help of Syrian barrel bomb experts to aid in the invasion this is one of the factors cited by US and European intelligence officials that they fear Putin will use chemical weapons in the region Russia has been offering bounties to Syrian soldiers if they join the invasion. Officials estimate that somewhere between 500 to 1,000 Syrian soldiers have joined the Russian war effort. So the barrel bombing thing, is, which is pretty, you know, like a pretty crude tactic, it's just, you know, a 50-gallon a barrel full of explosives tossed out of helicopters which seems in line with, you know, what we were reporting last week about Russian fighter jets with old GPS units like Tom Toms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tom Tom. <laughs> right? Remember Tom Tom? I don't know that. Was it, <laughs> I remember Tom Tom. Or you know, 
secondhand Garmin GPS units from pawn shops. I don't know how that even works. Like how like uh, fighter jets go pretty quickly. Yeah. How how would like, I don't know. How, how does that work? But yeah, the only you know like one of the problems though with the barrel bomb tactic that this article pointed out from the Guardian is that they work really well in Syria where the insurgents didn't have any um you know like air defense but yeah that's like the, the, they're gonna get knocked out of the sky yeah because they gotta get you know kind of close with those helicopters right yeah because <laughs> yeah. the the ukrainians have uh have uh you know like air to a surface to air missiles those javelins well i think the javelins could shoot helicopter out of the plane but they have uh air defense so but maybe that's why they brought the experts in because i feel like it probably doesn't take too much of an expert to toss a barrel of explosives out of a helicopter so maybe they (laughs) brought in the experts to figure out how to get around the those pesky uh missiles yeah i think they just wanted to know how to make the most effective bombs yeah yeah on Saturday, May 21st, Russia announced lifetime bans on over 900 American citizens. Uh, this loot list includes many key political leaders, including President Joe Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Senator Chuck Schumer, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and our good friend CIA head William Burns. So... Oh no, they can't ever go to Russia, <laughs> and they're very upset. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it's like the opposite of Cartman, where he's like, "And now I got to go to Russia." Yeah. <laughs> um, and then an aviation institute caught fire on Saturday near Moscow. Officials say an electric transformer exploded, setting fire to a substation about 25 miles south of Moscow. Uh, the center is helping to develop the next generation of Russian airliners. So it is amazing how many electric transformers are are like shorting out in military and technical institutions and factories. Lots of just, lots of coincidences going around. Yeah, um, yeah, whole bunches of coincidences, and the um, conscription offices are also having. Um, uh, bottles full of uh, like gasoline and kerosene and oil thrown into them. Um, it's just it's it's like you know kind of like when it rains frogs and it's kind of this mystery. These like mystery bottles of gasoline, flaming gasoline, are flying into the conscription offices all over Russia. Right. I'm sure it couldn't be the Very... the middle aged Russians as you know Russia is talking about allowing people over forty to be conscripted. <laughs> to you know to fight so, i mean i'm 43 i might no i take it back i would never ever throw a molotov cocktail at anyone um <laughs> well, this is at the building oh well that's true that's true um speaking about technological makeshift uh i can't think of the word i'm just going to say ukrainian soldiers are finding unique unique ways to build out their military capabilities and they've added electric bikes to their inventory 
e-bike maker Delfast handed over a number of the machines to the Ukrainian military, which has equipped the bikes with heavy weaponry, including anti-tank missiles called in-laws. Which is a funny name yeah. for <laughs> a missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah look at my in-law missile. songs about it. Yeah, nobody... <laughs> You know what Russians hate in-laws. Is it, Every wife. Russian man hates his Honey, in-laws. Honey, my so. mom is coming over for dinner. Don't forget my my. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to bring my in-laws too. Yeah, yeah. the I, th- I think these are made in um in England or I think they're made in Belfast actually, but nonetheless, United Kingdom. And uh, I've heard the. Ukrainians, it's become a tradition to yell, God save the queen, before they set them off. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, well, I remember um, years ago, uh, Gabby Giffords is a senator that got shot in the head. Um, she survived, had a husband that was an astronaut, but she was a Democrat. And I got one of those like emails that your uncle gets and takes seriously. Uh, about how she's a traitor and awful because uh, it's on a committee about military technology in Afghanistan and she mentioned what she cared about was like battery technology and solar charging and it's like you know she she doesn't care about the lives of her soldiers she just cares about this green agenda and I was like I don't know if this really did happen but if it did she's 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 not a traitor she actually cares about the lives of the soldiers because if you have to transport fuel to keep your generators going or keep things charged or i mean the less you have to carry and be resupplied with the better and also, the some of these like vehicles that are electric are a lot more quiet. Right. So yeah, these guys are able to use these bikes, go through because you know, I saw the picture of them. They're like dirt bikes. Yeah, I saw that and too. So they, they look can, like dirt bikes yeah. with the giant rocket attached to the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so they take their dirt bike, go off, um, fire off a rocket or whatever, and you know, do the Dukes of Hazard on out of right, there. Except very quietly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, ah, oh. but you know, anything that has to do with helping the environment is obviously against the truth. Yeah. Well, I kind but of in this case, it's true against the Russian troops. Yes. Well, also, I feel like probably the launch of a giant anti-armor missile will kind of negate the environmental <laughs> games made them using <laughs> e-bikes but i guess right. it could be worse they could be using gasoline powered motorcycles to do it yeah so yeah <laughs> okay and then on sunday may 22nd ukrainian president volodymyr zelensky announced a joint customs agreement with poland meant to make the movement of people and exports out of ukraine easier The joint venture also includes the development of a new railway. During an address to the nation, Zelensky said, quote, A solution has been reached that is revolutionizing the order on our border. We are introducing joint customs control with Poland. 
This will significantly speed up border procedures. It will remove most of the corruption risks, but it is also the beginning of our integration into the common customs space of the European Union. That is a truly historic process. This is an achievement, the historic achievement of our people, and I want the brotherhood between Ukrainians and Poles to be preserved forever. As I talked about it today in front of our deputies, in front of the deputies, our unity of Ukrainians and Poles is a constant that no one will break. All right. Yeah, that's um, pretty interesting news. It's like, oh, good, the Polish Confederation is back, or the Commonwealth. <laughs> the Polish Commonwealth is coming back. Uh, bigger this time. Actually, it'd be kind of hard for it to be bigger. That thing was huge uh, back in the day. Um, they got to they got to get Belarus in it and Lithuania. Then yeah, but how likely is it is Belarus to do that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's that opposition that's in exile, and there's uh, uh, Belarusians fighting with the Ukrainians, and there's also an army that's outside of Belarus. The dissidents that's that's uh, training and looking for volunteers and money, so it, it could very well the war can spread into there through internal revolt. Uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, the if if the democratic forces there did uh, get a foothold or take over, I, I think they would follow Zelensky's lead. They're like, oh well, whatever he was doing seems to be working, so let's do that too. Um, but one of the, the things that's kind of small but big is uh, the railroads. The Ukrainian railroads have a different gauge than those over in Poland. So just if they get those over on the same gauge, that's going to be big for trade. And it's also like I think 90% of Ukraine's exports go uh, by water oh, or to Odessa. Outlet then. And so it's like, well, they do have a... Yeah, yeah, it would help, help a lot. So, you know, increasing that. Well, making them less dependent right. upon one way to, to do their exports. And uh, regarding the uh, potential for a peace deal between Ukraine and Russia, uh, the president has ruled out ceding any land to Russia in any agreement that they may sign. Yeah, I saw, uh, I was reading, it was a Ukrainian lady talking about how frustrated she she is about like you know her people being murdered and it's like I have to not hurt the feelings of of westerners who are trying to not hurt the feelings of russians you know like it's the kind of uh, political correctness you say uh the, the russians are murdering my people it's like well is it really murder would you call it murder i mean stuff happens in war and I mean, I'm sure the Russian people want peace, and uh, if we if we if we cut Russia off from the world, what kind of message is that really sending? Like, people are killing, dropping bombs on schools and hospitals. Like, why do you care about the feelings of the leaders of this other nation more than ours? And it's kind of a good point. But this this comes. Why I'm thinking of that is, uh, like. The West seems to be suggesting to Zelensky that he be open to surrendering Donbass um, as a way to get peace. Like, well, you know, Putin saves face, so lives will be saved. But it's like, well, how, what what means that they're well? He he might be dead by then, but in like ten more years. But what's to say 
Putin 2.0 won't try to get more land in the very same way. And, you know, is it really fair for us to ask them? But, I mean, at the same time, I guess if the West is going to pay for the weapons, they, they do have some... Or at least they have a, a, an interest in winding <laughs> things down so that they can stop, you know, funneling money into their... Yeah, I mean, the, it's, a, you know, that whole real politique issue. But right now, it looks like the Ukrainians, uh, as long as they continue to get those weapons, will win. And I think it's in the U.S.'s interest to keep going. I, I think uh, Biden already said what, what they wanted to do. He said, um, make a, break the Russian military so much that they can't do something like this again for a long time. And it seems yeah. to be accomplishing that. Well, I get a laugh like um, the Afghanistan, Russia fell fell into the bear trap, and then the U.S. Uh, fell into the same trap, and then it was like Putin's like, "Ha I can one up you guys. I'm going to create an entirely different, more brutal trap to fall into." Yeah. Um, and then our next story: Israel has announced that it will not open inv an investigation into the death of Al Jazeera reporter Shireen Abu Akleh. According to Israeli news outlet Haaretz, I hope I'm saying that right, I apologize if I'm not, Israeli police believe investigating Israeli forces will lead to opposition among uh, with, and within the Israeli pe people. Haaretz also reports that Israeli police believe there was no criminal act as soldiers who were inter interviewed said they were firing at Palestinian fighters. They state that Abu Akleh was likely killed by Palestinian fire. Other investigations have concluded that Abu Akleh could only have been killed by Israeli police. Well, if we don't investigate it, we can't find out. That seems to be... Uh, the Israeli line, and um, you got to yeah. stand behind that thin blue line, you know. Why you don't you don't admit to things? You just don't do that. Well, yeah. Eventually, people will forget, kind of forget about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, why why investigate it and then you know find the guy, find the police officer not guilty, and risk another riot when the when the verdict is announced or. Um, the other side, he's found guilty in a risk of Israeli discontent and losing the election. Why risk that? You can just ignore it. And it'll, it, it might go away, you know, kind of like this mole I've got on my, my back. <laughs> um, you might not want to treat that like war crimes. <laughs> just ignore it until it goes off. Um, speaking of war crimes, uh, we move to the United States. And um, while speaking at his presidential library on Thursday, former President George W. Bush had a slip of the tongue when he called the Iraq War unjustified and brutal. He was actually talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but he had a little, uh, I guess, a, a Freudian slip, maybe, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on stage, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a textbook. <laughs> they should yes. they should put that in like psychology textbooks as an example of a Freudian slip, like the ones. Like, yeah. 
Yes. So over the weekend, the GOP held a CPAC event in Hungary with Hungary's president, Viktor Orban, speaking to the crowd. Uh, Tucker Carlson also spoke along with Mark Meadows and Donald Trump as well. He spoke remotely. In his speech, Orban said, uh, as advice, presumably, to the GOP, he said, have your own media. It's the only way to point out the insanity of the progressive left. He also said, quote, we have to take back the institutions in Washington and Brussels. We must find allies in one another and coordinate the movement of our troops, end quote. So that's interesting. He likes metaphor. Well, it's the you know the right working together, and it's uh, kind of like a religious nationalism. Is uh, all right. Well, um, yeah, the European, the Eastern European left is kind of interesting because it can um, uh, be very socially conservative, and you know that usually that's a trait we associate with the right, but. Uh, We've got this kind of new melding. It would be kind of, I mean, you wouldn't really call Orban leftist. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, you know, non, not, he's kind of a hybrid regime type, uh, authoritarian-ish. But, he, you know, like this quote mentions the media and he, you know, kind of stops the media there or limits the amount of speech that the opposition gets. It's like, well, they can speak. They just don't get to speak often. And he's really big into clientelism, which is making sure that his friends get the get government contracts. Or so it's in it's in someone's interest to be in support. But it's kind of like a Christian nationalism too. So I mean, that's really they're trying to unite a sort of you know socially conservative Christian nationalist element. And there's some pretty heady, uh, some heady phrases in there. Insanity of the progressive left worries me because if he's talking about American progressive left, yeah, like, he is, and he's talking about the European one. The yeah, that's that's exactly what he's I just talking mean. About. Yeah, I just. But it's weird because here in America, the progressive left is not very progressive <laughs> compared to. <laughs> A lot of places. Well, they... Um, um, unless you mean socially again. Yeah, a, a lot of it socially and uh, things like having gender studies. I think they, they ban gender studies in, in Hungary and yeah. that sort of thing. So it's like, oh, you know, we're all about free speech until that speech confuses us or we think it's it's wrong. And then, you know, we don't really like that anymore. Um, I mean, how long do they think they can keep that under wraps? I you mean, know, uh, it's, gender studies. It's all. here. Oh well, I mean, they could they could put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, the society has gone from being kind of open, you know, religious, and to more secular to more religious again. Yeah, you know, they're trying to. You know, they they want to go back to more traditional time. Where i.e. times where people didn't talk about stuff yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. was just who they were supposed to be. Yeah, vice police. They can bring you know bring back the vice police. And if if uh, you are uh not up to 
the social standard, then it's socially acceptable to throw rocks at you. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, well, like, uh, we don't really care if you're gay as long as you stay in the closet. And a lot of them, right. I think, kind of do feel that way. That's kind of where they're at with it. I mean, not to say that, well, I'm not so bad, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it, that's the, the, the way they're heading. And, and it's, I mean, it's what Putin did. Uh, I mean, this guy's just following Putin's lead. And, they, I mean, they're kind of buddies. They're, where it's, oh, well, I can get people on my side that based on religion and tradition you know like okay well the gays are making people upset and it it works in florida uh like the people are the society as a whole does not appear to be quite as progressive as um maybe we would our media might portray it to be or aspects of our media and when you start say think of the children and Oh, well, why do they have to have parades? Uh, a lot of people seem to be sympathetic to that. And it's really just a distraction. You know, like, you know, they don't really. Let's get them stirred up about gender studies. Right. Yeah. Let's yeah. It's wear like, pants. I was like, I mean, is this really, is this, is this really the hill you want to charge? But for, you know, the authoritarians, it is. Because it also is something that allows people to justify interfering in lives, interfering in, you know, very directly in schools, interfering in people's personal lives. You know, you, you know, it, the, the people that advocate for freedom and liberty, many of them, ironically, are the same ones that are like, oh, well, you know, um, yeah, they shouldn't be teaching about gender studies in university. That, that's that's brainwashing children. It's like, well, right. you want you want to tell a private or public institution what you know degrees they can have. It's like, as a matter of fact, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we want all of that. We want all of those powers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, he uh, Orban he got the Azoros scholarship to study in the West. So he's very familiar with like free market economics, uh, traditional liberalism, and he's kind of come out against it. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, he got educated in the ways of the free market. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think it's an open society helping. I can't remember which particular group, but yeah. It was, yeah. And, and now he's like, oh, Zoros is evil or Zoros is behind it. He's one of these conspiracy theorists, which is what's upsetting too. You know, play on people's fears. There's a secret cabal and it's, you know, those gays, homosexuals, atheists and college professors and communists and Nazis all working together. And I'm like, how did all those people join a coalition? <laughs> How did they all get right. in the same room and not murder each other? And where? why didn't I get an invitation? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of like when people seem to talk about anarchists if it, as if anarchists are scary. <laughs> and anarchists nowadays, at least in America, they're likely to be there whenever some shit goes down. But they're going to be there like serving vegan chili. <laughs> and I'm not the first person to say that, but that's, I mean, that's, right. I can't remember who said it first, but yeah, that's like, you know, they're going to be out there, take, you know, like getting a consensus on 
proper pronoun usage. That, you know, <laughs> right. they're not really, really important things. You know, <laughs> they're like mostly they're they're kids who read a ton of political theory instead of bathing. <laughs> now I will steal not steal all of their clothes from Goodwill, and they're all they're almost always really nice. Uh, but yeah. There. <laughs> I will not listen. I will not listen to your stereotyping. <laughs> well, the other anarchists are older and know better than to go around calling themselves anarchists. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh moving on. Uh and I'm excited. We've got some United States news that we usually generally don't cover. But a lot of this is really relevant. So on Wednesday, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that they've charged four members of China's Ministry of State Security with spying on dissidents and human rights activists living and working within the United States. The indictment claims that the four officials directed a fifth person, American citizen Wang Shuzhun, I think I said that right, I hope so, to collect information on U.S. citizens including their personal information, statements, and personal beliefs. The four individuals charged, all Chinese citizens, have not been arrested. Uh, the Chinese embassy in Washington denied the accusations, calling them, quote, pure fabrication. Oh, so, of course it's pure fabrication. <laughs> of course, it's all, it's all made up. Nothing to see here. I mean, honestly, at this point, it's hard, like... I give it 60-40 that it happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I think it's, it, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to say because the United States really not digging China lately. And I, I don't think they so, would. I don't think they would pull up false accusations just for that because it, it's not the. What's the purpose? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. You just it's hard to know anymore <laughs> especially you know after you know doing so much reading about the cia in the past you know sometimes it, it get you start feeling a little shaky has, the, has reading about the cia made you paranoid i got a case of the truth shakes <laughs> oh no so <laughs> yes speaking of truth shakes on Tuesday, the Pentagon reaffirmed its commitment to investigating the numerous sightings of unidentified aerial phenomena, also known more commonly as UFOs. They've just they've rebranded them to UAPs, so they have a different, you know, it's a clever marketing. Yeah. I won't break it down, but it's clever marketing. Yeah. So you suck a UFO, you're crazy. You see a UAP. Oh, okay. Hey. Uh, all right. Yeah. Now it sounds official. UFO used to sound official, <laughs> but now it's UAPs. Almost a year ago, there were over 140 reported sightings of UAPs from military pilots going back to 2004. Since that report was published, Scott Bray, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, told a House Intelligence subcommittee that the number has grown to 400 cases cataloged by a Pentagon task force assigned to collect UAP reports. Bray was careful to keep speculation earthbound, saying, quote, We have no material, 
we have detected no emanations within the UAP task force that would suggest it is anything non-terrestrial in origin. Uh, emanations. Is a, <laughs> it almost sounds like he came up with that one off the cuff. I mean, I didn't hear him actually talk, so I don't know. But emanations is... Did you, you say know, emanations? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ronald Moultrie, U.S. Defense Undersecretary for Intelligence and Security, leads the current investigative team. He told the subcommittee, quote, We know that our service members have encountered unidentified aerial phenomena, and because UAPs pose potential flight safety and general security risks, we are committed to a focused effort to determine their origins. So... <laughs> well, one thing that kind of um, shakes me about this and then it connects to the war in, in Ukraine is I had always thought that these were you know, like probably Russian, like really, really super advanced drones of some kind and right. or maybe Chinese or just some kind of technology that, you know, they had gotten the jump on. And um now seeing but, like we'd be seeing yeah, it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like seeing if he had like a final you know like if he had a, a not counting nuclear if he had like another card to play like a more powerful one now you know i feel like he'd already yeah. played it, right? <laughs> yeah that would that would we would have seen it holy crap there's those uaps russia's got them <laughs> right yeah well, i guess that Whoa. still leaves still leaves china maybe china's got them but um the uh, i'm beginning to think um no no it's not one of those guys but I, yeah i have no idea what it is uh, and it's interesting because you know if you listen to descriptions of ufos from you know like the 50s and 60s a lot of it sounds like are like quadcopters that oh. we have nowadays. you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean like it shot straight up and then it made a 90 degree turn and zipped off at a crazy speed that you know you could do that now with a drone you know yeah. with a quadcopter drone and so and then if you look at the um the ufo or uap sightings nowadays they're doing things that look magical to us like the tic tac if you saw that yeah um, yeah and the things that are like dipping under the water and uh disappearing and reappearing so it's interesting. Well, I'm, cu I, I'm curious. I'm really curious. Go ahead. Uh, well, if there are going to be more, or if there are more now, because um, I think uh, what I read is they, they cluster around um, the military bases on the east and west coast. And since you've got this kind of war thing going on, yeah, they're, they they might just, like, I think the, the uh, South Park may be right, is their camera, their like, cameras for reality show Earth that the aliens are watching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like that. That might be the case. Um, it, you know, another good option or thought is there, um, artificial intelligence. Like you know, the aliens are so far away. Or if they, you know, assuming that that there are planets with with other life, that they wouldn't be able to get here and back. But maybe they're kind of like. Um, artificial intelligence space um gypsies that they just go around and uh look at stuff 
and you know being technology they figure out how to keep themselves going because you know they're all kind of rare earth metals and you know they would know how to like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy ah, it's been so long since i've seen that but perhaps like a little you know an artificial Did intelligence you say seen that uh, well surely you meant read that well i, I do i do know that a towel is important um but yeah it was, <laughs> that's <laughs> it was, fine yeah, that's fine um so I don't know. It's kind of fun to conjecture about, but it is. It's very fun to conjecture about because it also might be aliens. <laughs> well, in my explanation, it's 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 a type of alien. It's just right. That's you know, true. Artificial intelligence yeah. at this point. Oh yeah. Um, before we end, Chris, I was wanted to to talk about something that you brought up last week, and I was kind of like, yeah, yank yank yank, but. We've got really horrible news that indicates that your paranoia may be justified. Uh, you know, you were talk- you talking about guns. Yeah, yeah. Like the we we delved into the prospect of a civil war or civil unrest in the United States, and you were you know saying you were worried because people from our hometown, you know, are like stockpiling guns and practicing and saying that they're, they're just waiting. And I was like, well, you know, that's, you know, fantasy stuff. I mean, I wouldn't worry about it. But then we've had in in Buffalo, New York, some guy went and shot 10 innocent people. And it was, you know, fairly clearly race motivated. I mean, he he wrote it out literally and sort of a kind of a race-based civil war thing and inspired by the, you know, the great replacement theory, which I had a friend ask me this weekend if I believed in that. And I was like, well, I don't believe there's a conspiracy to replace people, but demographics change. That's just a natural process. You know, the U.S. used to be German, Irish, and, and English, and well, you know, British. And, but now it's a lot more Irish in certain areas and got a lot of Italians. I mean, the demographics change, but I, I don't believe there's a theory or like a conspiracy but right um, it's just how things go yeah yeah i mean you know change change is the only constant um but yeah this whole breeding fear but the there was a couple of shooters that said ben shapiro inspired them and you know i mean this is the thing to me and um i remember seeing ben shapiro say well you know the guy's a crazy guy i can't take responsibility for it but Okay, okay, but it's happened a couple of times. And I'd say if if there's like a shooter and they say, you know, I was really inspired by, by Brandon Givens and Topher Ford's conversations. Uh, if it happened once, I'd be like, okay, well, this is this is just nutter, you know. I mean, it would freak me out. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. It, it would freak I me would- out. It would probably, I would feel pretty shook. Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I wouldn't be shook. And in fact, I'm downplaying it to make the, the, the point of like, but if it happened twice, you would have, have to do like a serious reevaluation of, of my life and my statements. And like, I would probably, right. I mean, probably yeah. stop speaking publicly at that point. Like, it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And right. If you were convinced you weren't the problem at that point, you are. There's no way around it. Like the only way for you not to be a, the problem at that point is if you are seriously questioning it. 
because no one could not question it. Even after one, well, even after one, you would have to take that question seriously. That uh, does not check out against reality, though. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, your your thoughts and feelings on that matter are not shared by many people. Well, I also happen to not be a sociopath. Um, right. You've got that going for you yeah. or against you, depending on. But, you know, that's exactly what a sociopath would say. <laughs> so I'm pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that it's it's really upsetting to me that there are these these news groups that are promoting this um, this hatred. And I had a conversation, too. With someone from, um, well, I don't, uh, I don't want to be too specific, but an African place where there was genocide, um, and uh, like tri you know, different tribes going at each other, and this person got U.S. citizenship, and was like was talking about just how great it felt, you know, like oh, I don't have to worry, and you know, people can disagree and they talk, and um, this person said now um, he's really he like he notices the Democrat Republican divide being very similar to what he saw um, before the genocide and where it's just the other side is just wrong and evil simply for existing. You know, their, their thoughts and their nature, they're guided by you know, evil fear and, yeah, and fear and greed um, and paranoia. And it's like, come on. Um, but yeah, it, it's worrisome. Like when they just and they just are doing it, and there's it just seems like there's no way to to stop them. And they, you know, they've been carrying on, ramping up rhetoric to an audience that is like well armed, and making that a big part of their national identity, their personal identity. Well, we all love guns. And we hate people taking our freedom. And did you know those people are taking your freedom? Yeah. And then act surprised when they they go out and, and kill people. It's like, oh, it was a lone wolf crazy guy. And it's like, but we, we're seeing very consistent patterns. I mean, even in, in Norway, that the shooter it was that killed all those like kids because they belonged to a political party like a, he didn't agree with. And I said, well, and it was a great replacement theory for him too. He was like, oh, well, this political party is—they're inviting all these foreigners to to make Norwegians disappear, and so I'm going to go kill their kids. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of these like people that shoot up mosques and things, and it's there was a guy in a grocery store in Texas. It, it's it's a repeated pattern, and it it is worrisome that. It, it won't get out of hand, you know. It's like, it, and that one side of our political divide just ignores it, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be in their interest to ignore it, and yeah. You know, well, you know, power. It's all at the end of the day, it's about power and getting what you want. And um, if they they can't win it through elections and and reasonable debate uh, and gerrymandering. And then voter suppression, then they'll win it by other means. All right, well, <laughs> have a good <laughs> week. There's your news.
see you uh, had to but, drop that in. I was like, we're going to end on UFOs. No, but I do. I do we're think almost there. I do yeah. think we should make a point of saying that, like conservatives or Republicans or whatever, are not evil because we we in, in saying like there this group of people. That are we, we don't want to be guilty of the same thing we're accusing people like Tucker Carlson of doing. Like, right. They, well, my thought is generally that the people on the top running the show, the whole GOP machine, they're highly guilty. And then the other people who are, you know, like have a lot in common with myself socioeconomically, um, they get caught up because the, you know, that side plays to very strong parts of a person's identity. Right. Yeah. You play to their fear and to their pride and to their greed. Yeah, which, which is incredibly ironic because one of the um, the cliches is, oh, the the left with their um, identity politics. And it's like, but that's all the Republican Party leadership hypes is identity politics. It is. <laughs> they don't have platforms. <laughs> they don't have policies. Well, yeah, they don't really have I policies, mean, but they, they it is based on, yeah, their platform is based on identity. It's like, okay, well, we'll get rid of abortion. And, and I mean, those are conversations that, sh that, that should be had. Um and immigration policy. I mean, those are conversations that should be had. And but we can't have them. Right. <laughs> like, and I, I'm not going to say someone is awful or, or racist because they want to limit immigration. That, to, you know, there are reasonable reasons to do that. They're um, even getting birthright citizenship. I, I think that's a conversation we should have. A lot of the conservative attitudes out there aren't necessarily bad. And I wish... Even even maybe more conservative than some of us would be comfortable with, we might we should be able to talk about them and not be tribalized. And sadly, sadly we do seem to be tribalized. I just want to make sure that I'm not being like Tucker Carlson and saying, "Oh, those guys are all crazy and evil," or you know, they're they're out to destroy you. You know, like, oh, they're out to to um you know, get rid of all the minorities and it's like, well, you know, let's, 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 let's avoid, let's avoid painting people with the same brush if possible. I mean, I, I buy that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, maybe that's, we're going to call that an upswing. Yeah, that was an upswing. We're going to, that's what we're going to love call your it. neighbor. Right. <laughs> and yeah. So, um, that's the news for this week. Uh, be sure to check out the website for links and for a, you know my script and everything at ciafiles.net. You can follow us on Twitter at ciafilespodcast, Instagram at ciafiles, facebook.com slash ciafiles, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great week, and talk to you later. Bye-bye.